do did you watch the good place yeah i'm pretty sure that this entire thing not this episode but this entire thing is my good place like yeah. i'm doing a podcast about my favorite show with my best friend and really i don't know it but i hate it but you're in hell <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like jeremy Barramy. <laughs> Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. <laughs> we are on season two, episode five, Baby Killer. Tasha's favorite. <laughs> okay, opening scene. We are at a playground of a school. It's recess. The kids are like running all over the place. There's like an outside teacher who's just kind of trying to keep everybody in line. She got bullshit playground duty that <laughs> nobody ever wants. Yeah. She sees a bunch of kids talking to some adults through the fence and goes up and tells those dudes, she's like, get the fuck out of here. Mm -hmm. and they're like, fuck you, bitch. Then there's a gunshot and all the kids are screaming and running and there's a little girl laying on the ground. Who's been shot and this girl has to be, I'm guessing this girl's like six years old at this point. Yeah. The teacher... She is like an amazing actress. I don't know who her name is or anything, but she was like screaming, like, help me, help me. There was like spit coming out of her mouth. And... Oh, yeah. And the teacher also has a fucking walkie talkie and she calls over the radio for somebody to call 911. Mm -hmm. And then theme song. So they're in the squad room. Everybody's sitting on desks and hanging out <laughs> like a ragtag group of detectives. Craigan's got like a serious dad face on and he's like, you guys, there's been a shooting of a little kid. Obviously, everybody's like bummed out about it. Yeah, but Munch rightfully is like, why do we catch it? Yeah. Craigan says the brass thinks we're better equipped to handle the situation. And then Stabler's like, okay, fine, bring in the pervert. Oh, those infamous double doors. Oh, yeah. Open up and two cops walk in flanking this fucking first grader. I know. So the kid is in Craigan's office playing with dinosaurs. They were trying to get a hold of the parents. Both had called in sick that day and they hadn't found him yet. And Munch is like, oh, they called in sick. Like that answer is a bunch of questions for me. Mm -hmm. Judgy, judgy Munch. Yeah. But then like immediately like two parents run in and are like, oh my God, where's our son? There's we heard there was a shooting like oh my god tell me he's okay they gave us the address to svu not the hospital like is he dead you know and they're oh, and yeah. benson's like oh my god he's fine he's actually the shooter and they were like what the way she said it when they came in she's like oh sorry about the confusion like there was a delivery order <laughs> mix up yeah. she's like your son wasn't shot he was yeah. the shooter gasp could you like come with it any worse yeah. benson you get extra packets of ketchup and your son's the shooter you're like what <laughs> <laughs> what is that bad <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> They don't know where he got the gun. The parents don't have a gun, and he's only ever at school, his sitter's, or home. And mm -hmm. his sitter's name is Mrs. Strada. Okay, this kid is also seven years old and apparently meets the cutoff to be able to be charged with murder. Mm -hmm. Craigan's like, we want to talk to him, but we can't talk to him until like we have your permission. We need you to like sign like a a Miranda waiver. Yeah, she's like, they're like, mm -hmm. whatever, hurry, that's fine. They also said that the serial number was filed off, but the dad's got no record or anything. So Toots is noting this, kind of saying that it would be unlikely that it would be his dad's gun because he's got zero criminal history so why would he have a filed off serial number on a fucking handgun right you know because those things usually go together mm -hmm. so olivia brings the parents into the room with stabler so the parents were at the emergency room all morning because their youngest daughter was born with a respiratory problem that's why they had called off work yeah munch you dick yeah <laughs> the cops bring in the boy and Stabler starts asking him questions about what happened, but like in a calm, like cool dad way. Yeah, the kid is super tiny and cute and he's sitting at this little kid table and then <laughs> Stabler sits down and he's got his knees in his armpits. Yeah. He's like, hey, bud. Hey, man, what's up? 
So he's asking Elias, did we already say his name? The little boy's name is Elias. Stabler's asking about Carly, who is the little girl that died. Carly Jackson. Elias said he didn't really like her because she chases him and tries to kiss him, like little kid stuff. Mm -hmm. Stabler's like, what happened to Carly? Elias is like, she fell down because of the gun that I was holding. The dad pops up and is like, we need a lawyer. And Stabler's like, oh my God, that's totally fucking fine. We have a phone, but he has to stay with us. Like, call a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Like, he's in fucking custody. Yeah. So Gregan's like, Munch, you guys need to go check out friends, family, neighbors, and school and see where he maybe got that gun. So Munch and Toots go back to the playground and the teacher that was from the beginning of the episode is there next to where Carly fell and it's been turned into like this little memorial. It's got photos, flowers. Yeah. She tells Munch that Elias is a good kid who doesn't get in trouble and when she ran to Carly, she saw Elias trying to ditch the gun in a trash can Mm -hmm. and she just said that Carly was the sweetest little girl and she seemed like a really good teacher. Yeah. She said that both Carly and Elias were like really good kids and yeah, she's like, what did we miss? Like what's going on? So Benson and Stabler are then at the home of Dorothy Estrada. I think she's like like a beautiful peach of a woman. I loved her. Yeah, me too. Well, at first. I loved her when we <laughs> met her. Yeah. She's a raspy voiced, no nonsense, white haired, sturdy older woman mm. with a crocheted shawl that I kind of loved. Like all the kids are out in the courtyard playing and there's like tons of them running around. Like a shitload of kids she's in charge of. Yeah, she's just sitting in a chair looking out the window, but like still being in charge of stuff. Yeah. So Stabler's asking her questions, but she just like keeps yelling out the window checking kids for shit mm-hmm. she's busy at her job too you guys mm-hmm. like she's gonna keep unpacking boxes too mm-hmm. the detectives want contacts of all the parents of all the kids and she has all of them she's got like a little binder Stabes has the audacity to ask her if she's responsible for all of the kids running around mm-hmm. and she's like uh yeah and i'm fucking killing it you dick <laughs> yeah she's like i take my job very seriously young man <laughs> And I'm like, ooh, Stabler, take a seat. Mm-hmm. So cut to a little boy sitting at his desk being questioned by Toots. His name is Sammy. And he gives Toots an attitude, but I can only imagine the trauma that he's trying to process. Mm-hmm. Like he just saw one of his classmates shot yeah. by another one of his classmates. I like how he gives Toots a little bit of attitude and then Toots kind of starts raising his voice and getting a little bit of attitude and goes back and <laughs> forth. And I'm like, Toots, you're like 50. Like this right. kid's seven, chill out. Yeah. But he asked, where did a get the gun and Sammy's like from his pants but in the end he tells him that he hadn't seen the gun before that moment so he Mm. couldn't really give him that much so then Munch is talking to this other little boy (laughs) and if I didn't know any better I would think this was Bruno Mars, the seven-year-old version. Oh my God. He- Right? Yeah. It's- Gabe texted me a photo of him. <laughs> like as soon as she goes, oh my God, look at him. He's got like <laughs> puffy hair, a little bit of like schmutz in the corner of his mouth. He's so cute. Yeah. He was like the cutest little boy ever. So he told Munch that Carly would try to kiss Elias all the time. Elias would get red in the face and embarrassed. And Munch asked if she had kissed him that day. And the little boy just said she was walking over to him. Mm-hmm. So everything's kind of pointing to like Elias just like, straight up shooting this girl because of like little kid stuff and just having access to a gun and it's like weird. Mm-hmm. Benson and Stabler are in the precinct elevator. Stabler tells Benson that Cabot is like gunning for the parents. Yeah, they're discussing parental responsibility because it's currently a hot button issue. And Olivia, this is weird because this is like a role reversal thing. I know, I was thinking that. Because she does not like the fact that Elliot gives any kind of indication that he sees Elias as any level of victim. Yeah, because Stabler keeps saying things like, where did he get the gun what happened to him to make him do this and it, yeah it was really which i weird. think is a valid question sure and it was weird olivia's like stop trying to make him a victim the only victim here is a dead little girl and i was like what mm. usually it's her trying to be like she's the one who kind of sees the bigger picture yeah i 
don't think him asking that is making Elias a victim any more than what's reasonable. I mean, it's a seven-year-old kid that doesn't happen often. It's going to make you think about, like, what the fuck is going on. Also, the assumption that Elias knew the cause and effect of shooting Carly is a real stretch Mm -hmm. for me. For a kid that age, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think kids at that age can fully understand, like, consequences. Yeah. They get into a lot of that in this episode. Yeah, they do. Yeah. The detectives get to the squad room double doors and there's a woman standing in the way of their shoulder to shoulder entry. <laughs> it's Sonia Perez. She is Elias's teacher. She's in the squad room and she's like digging through her bag and she's talking about classroom sizes and how it's fucking impossible to give kids the intention that they deserve because there's like way too many kids and Yeah, she's over capacity in her classroom. What did you say? Thirty two is the top and she has forty or some shit? Yeah. She says after twenty years of teaching, like nothing shocks her anymore, but then pulls out a drawing. Elias did that looks like a man and a boy and like the man is shooting through a pillow or something at someone Mm -hmm. with a ponytail and camouflage pants Mm -hmm. and he drew that yesterday and there's like blood everywhere yeah which was like before he shot Carly so they're all like what the fuck assuming because Carly had a ponytail so they're like planning it out yeah Yeah. so Cabot's having a heated discussion with the deputy DA he says that they need to charge Elias with murder this guy's on fairly often and I never catch his name me either Anyway, he's like second in command. He's Cabot's boss. Okay. Mm -hmm. He's the one who tells her like what she can and cannot do. He's saying that they need to charge Elias with murder. And Cabot's like, um, he's fucking seven. So he doubles down that seven is the age that they can charge him. And Cabot reminds him that the youngest they've ever convicted before that was 11 years old. Mm -hmm. And he goes, yeah, that was before Columbine. I didn't know if we should like talk about Columbine for a second because there's a lot of people that are alive that don't even know now. We're going to talk about Columbine. Okay, cool. I put go on about Columbine for a second. My chaser's about Columbine because this is the second time where we've been like, ooh, should we touch on Columbine for a second? Mm -hmm. Because remember in the first season, they like, whew, they hit Columbine really fresh. Mm -hmm. But then I don't remember. I did the chaser on something else that that time, and I don't remember what it was. But we were like, we'll get back to that because it's going to fucking come up again. Yeah. Here we are. But Cabot gets all in his face about him needing to come down hard on this kid for political reasons. Yeah, she's like, oh, you're bored of being the chief assistant of the DA and you're trying to fucking replace the DA next fall. But she's like, I'm not going to make a fucking young boy a scapegoat for you to prove you're tough on crime for your election. Yeah. And he's like pissed for being like called out so viciously yet correctly. Mm -hmm. She's all but losing her shit on this guy. Like she's measured, but like... Yeah. She's about to fucking blow. She's such a bad bitch. I just fucking love her. Yeah. But he doesn't bite in any of this and he stays like gaslighty calm. You know, that Mm -hmm. thing where like you're on fire and then that the person stays super calm and he's got the power in this situation. Like she Mm -hmm. has to do what he says. So he's just like, we have more than enough and we're charging him with murder. And the picture that Elias drew gives intent. And Cabot's like, why not just transfer to Texas so we can execute him? (laughs) She's on fire. And she's like, hmm. He walks away. Cabot's in a fucked up position and she knows it and she hates it. Mm-hmm. So they're in the court and the judge is like, um, am I hearing this fucking right? Are we fucking charging this kid with murder? The seven year old with fucking murder? I'm sorry, did I get <laughs> did I get the right file? Is this cool, sure, cool, cool, this cool, cool, sense. cool. Mm-hmm. The judge was like, Are there no other fucking options? And Cabot's like, Yeah, we're charging him because no fucking alternative has presented itself. Unfortunately, like she's not happy. Mm-hmm. 
so the judge is like how does elias plead and his stupid lawyer says like um general denial it's like this is insane because it is so then cabot's like we haven't ruled out like the fitness of elias's home as a contributing factor to the crime so they want to like put him in a detention center pending the trial Mm -hmm. of course like the mom and dad freak out yeah and elias's lawyer is like no way dude he comes from a loving nuclear family blah 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 not that that has anything to do with anything the nuclear part especially yeah but it's what is it 2000 people are stupid (laughs) that's (laughs) <laughs> you have nothing to back up the fact that like the year matters i don't know <laughs> i just feel like stupid. that nuclear this is what a family is supposed to look like shit was still mm-hmm. hanging on them it's like don't fucking tell me how to love people fuck you <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> beautifully said <laughs> Yeah, Cabot's like, they have ties to out of the country. Elias's mom is like, obviously fucking crying, looks behind her at a woman staring at her. I'm assuming it's Carly's mom. It is Carly's Stone mom. Stone cold. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's just such a shitty situation. So the judge orders Elias to be taken to the Wagner Detention Center, and he also wants a clinical evaluation of Elias to see if he actually understands like the charges against him, if he's mentally can understand what's going on. If he can't aid in his own defense, like we've found before that that's a key piece of somebody being able to go to trial with these charges. It's a pretty shitty like sight when the cops, you know, take Elias away and he's screaming for his mom and the parents are screaming for him. Cabot obviously isn't happy about this, but it's like her fucking job. Like what the fuck? can she do you yeah know? she like the the level she's biting her tongue is like insane right so they're in the squad room now and the cat's out of the bag in the press that they're charging a seven-year-old with murder amnesty international children's rights groups like everybody's freaking out mm-hmm. cabot walks in and munch gives her some shit and she's like dude i don't have a choice like this is where we're at mm-hmm. Cragen comes in with some dad shit and he's like why don't we quit focusing on the kid that we caught and start focusing on the adult that we didn't and we're all like, yeah, Cragen. So he's like, we need to figure out where he got this shit. And they need to start looking into the kids that the babysitter watches. They note that one of them has a mother who has a similar gun registered to her. So Munch and Toots go to talk to that lady. And she pulls out her gun to show them that it's in her possession. But she does it in a way that's like pretty risky in front of a couple of cops. Because they're like, do you have it? And she's like, no, no, no. Like, I've got it. And they're like, can we see it? And she's like, Whoo! And basically fucking sticks them up with it. Yeah. She was just like i got shit to do today this is dumb she's yelling for a kid to hurry the fuck up she's like yeah. oh here's my gun idiots and it's like waving it around <laughs> so they told her that concealed carry is illegal and she's like well i don't so but she does because she carries it from work to home yeah. in the middle of the night in like a not so great area so they're like why don't you leave it at home and she's like oh yeah so my appliances can defend themselves cool she gets off work sometimes at like 3 a.m and has mm-hmm. to take a subway and a bus and then walk four blocks so yeah she's gonna keep a gun they want to talk to her son Raphael, and he's a child as well but his demeanor to me makes him seem like he's older he's like 32 emotionally <laughs> <laughs> like his demeanor makes him seem like he's seen a lot mm-hmm. you know and basically just what he says because they ask him if he knows what happened and he says yeah elias popped that little girl and i'm like oh that's cold-blooded he had a glass of scotch <laughs> and he was smoking a cigar and he was like yeah that, yeah hold on i'm putting bets on the ponies <laughs> ma is the risotto done risotto i don't know <laughs> he had a gold chain oh my god you know what i just watched italian leather shoes what italian leather shoes <laughs> i watched the saga of danny hernandez why do i know about- that fucking Takashi 6 9 
It's a documentary. This is about that about, kid that has all those shitty tattoos on his face, and then he's like, oh, I kind of got in a little bit of trouble. I'm going to tell on everybody. Yes. Okay. I haven't seen it. I don't know much about it, except for like that little synopsis of it. It's a whole new world that I didn't know about, and it was super interesting. Mm. And also, like, I kind of feel bad for him at the end of it, even though it wasn't painting him in a great light at all. Just because he was a narc? Or I don't know. I don't know really no, anything. No, he was like, like he was going to get murdered. By who? But he's also like a hardcore troll you know like it was like trolling gone too far i don't know what's going on you you really should watch it it's like probably not <sighs> i don't know whenever you tell me that i'm i'm always like no oh, i don't want to watch it and then i watch it and i'm like yes okay so now they're at the precinct i'm guessing they're in like the forensics ballistics area i think yeah um so this gun is like lightweight compact and hammerless hair trigger yeah benson points out how easy it is to use so the safety was tampered with the bullet that came back from carly's autopsy showed it was hollow point and like there was an x that was like filed down by hand and benson's mm -hmm. like she didn't fucking stand a chance yeah so this guy the fucking forensic guy he compares bullets from a different murder of a 23 year old and it's from the same gun that was killed carly so there's another body attached to this gun yeah there was a 23 year old that was killed the night before yes mm -hmm. bingo lead time yep right so that the 23rd precinct i'm guessing it's homicide they're at homicide it's murder house <laughs> and they're talking to the that captain. sounds like a really badass place to work <laughs> or it sounds like a halloween themed store they're talking to a super new yorky cop and he's like shoddy esposito was shot the night before he shot carly wait mm -hmm. no shoddy esposito was shot the night before last shot yeah shoddy esposito was shot the night before you know i'm saying it like a fucking kennedy <laughs> I'm All I remember is he called him Shorty. 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 Yeah. Anyway, he was shot the night before Carly was shot. Yeah, and then they call someone Shorty. Like, like his name's... Sh his name's Shorty. No. Yeah. No, never mind. That was from the... Um, uh, Takashi six nine thing that I watched because oh, somebody's name somebody's name was Shadi and then they said something about a shorty and I was like oh you guys we're not but yeah that's we not can't, this we can't talk about that six nine guy for the rest of the episode not, it's too much I need you to watch it though okay I really do I'll report to you um in a year please. and a half okay so shorty was dumped in an alley a few blocks from where Elias lives. The case is cold and they were hoping Elias was the one who did it. Like not hoping, but like thinking they were close close it. They were like, fingers crossed for the seven-year-old. <laughs> so the ME makes the killer four inch taller than Shorty. So it couldn't have been Elias. And then Olivia asks if they want to swap fives. And I have no idea what that means. Did you get swap fives? Yeah, she's like, do you want to swap fives? And they like hand each other paperwork and I have no idea what that means. Oh, I thought she said swap files. Oh, they did swap files, but I heard fives. <laughs> and I was like, that's some cop talk I don't know shit about. <sighs> That was like an easy one. And I really like <laughs> thought about it hard. I like paused and was like, what does that mean? Turn on your goddamn closed captioning. No. Okay. Well, we're just going to keep running into this. So they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Crime scene photos. Shorty, the guy who was shot the night before is wearing these gray and white camo pants, which is the exact pattern of the pants in the picture that Elias drew before killing Carly. What? Elias saw a moita. Now they're at a newspaper stand. Benson and Stabler are talking to the newsstand guy, showing him a picture of Shorty. And he's like, yeah, I've seen him on the block. They're like, what does he do? And he's like, he likes long walks on the beach. I don't fucking know. I just see him. Oh, this guy was so fucking annoying. Yeah. He's like, I, I just see him around. Whenever he sees him, he's coming out of Nestor's, which is, it's like a grocery yeah, well, it store. It looks like, uh, yeah. It, well, it looks like a grocery store. Yeah. Benson and Stabler pop in. So Nikki Crow owns the business. Nestor, I guess, was the guy that sold it to him a year earlier. And it's mm -hmm. like a religious supplies store for the practice of Santeria. Yeah. Um, 
he knows Shorty. Benson notes the chickens and that she's assuming they're sacrificial chickens. Mm -hmm. And he's like goes right into the legality of everything. Mm -hmm. And Stabler's like, whatever, dude, we're not the ASPCA. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I do. I feel like I remember there being a SVU that involved this. No, it was something else. Okay. Um, was it that Takashi 6 9 <laughs> documentary? Yeah, it was. Oh, they show him a picture of Shorty and he's like, yeah, I know him. And they're like, well, he's dead. So this guy is like a quote unquote priest. I'm not sure what, but um, Stabler is being kind of dumb. He's just being shitty. I don't know. He's just being a little shitty and like suspicious. Yeah. And the guy's like, dude, 300,000 300, people in New York practice Santeria. Like I'm allowed to have a store. Right. At the end, he kind of just confesses to like, I'm an atheist store owner, mm -hmm. but I'm supplying to like, there's a demand here. So oh. I own a store. This is what I'm doing. And I know the fucking law. That's it. Yeah. You know, freedom of religion, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That kind of thing. So Benson and Stabler walk out like, oh, shucks, kind of frustrated to meet up with Munch and Toots on the street. And they've been scoping the drug dealing on the corner. Toots proceeds to give the middle American audience the New Yorker rundown of the operation. <laughs> and he's like, that guy right there in the corner, that's the steerer. He brings the buyer to the money man. And him hanging back with the gold chain, that's the money man. He never touches the dope. And I'm like, Oh, scritch grass scritch this is me taking notes <laughs> for what <laughs> for why <laughs> i like knowing stuff <laughs> like because i'm gonna go to fucking bushwick and i'm gonna be like i see what's going on over here <laughs> i saw that episode jacoby take notes that's the runner so they're all teenagers so they're like maybe they know elias through a little brother oh yeah a little boy then yells 911 toots goes he's the lookout and fucking books it after this little kid and i don't want to be a dick about a little kid caught up in that shit but there were four adults in suits and trench coats right across the street all but making direct eye contact with you <laughs> no they were huddled around if a bunch of people were in suits black suits huddled around and like looking over at me every now and then i'd be like those are fucking police and i'm not even doing anything yeah. freaking munch looks like carmen san diego <laughs> but like at the top right <laughs> i'm just saying like i'm i don't want to dog on this kid he's doing his job it just took him a while to make them is all i'm saying yeah before toots can catch up to the kid a shopkeeper grabs the child and gives a little hand i'm sure he has no patience for this shit happening in front of his store. Yeah. Because it's like right on the same block. Mm -hmm. This guy does the heavy lifting because this kid won't give his name and claims to not know Elias or Shorty by photos or anything. The shopkeeper's like, he's Mrs. Morales's boy, Jamal. Toots takes Jamal to talk some more. And the shopkeeper tells Benson that the money man is Bobby Cruz, El Cojo. So inside this guy's shop, he is the dude they've been waiting for in this investigation. Mm -hmm. He wants to tell them absolutely everything he can. He says Elias is in the shop all the time with an 18 or 19 year old boy they call sweetness because he likes candy. Mm -hmm. I'm sure he gets into a lot of dangerous shit, this sweetness, but I think it's a cute little nickname. Yeah. They're at the precinct. They find out the kid sweetness is 19. He was put in foster care when he was eight. Since then, it's been truancy, shoplifting, and then he moved up to drugs, larceny, gun possession. His given name is Antonio Strada, <gasps> and his great grandmother is Mrs. Strada, the babysitter. They're at Mrs. Strada's house. Mrs. Strada tells Benson and Stabler her great-grandson has nothing to do with Carly's death. I'm already starting to be like, oh, fuck. You do suck, mm -hmm. Mrs. Strada. Yeah. And she's a little too cool. Yeah, she's doing the grandma thing. Like, this is my boy. You know, and it's like, don't. So she insists that he's changed and he's getting his life together. He helps her with the kids. He takes them to the park. He takes them to the 
candy store. And they're like, do you know that candy store that he takes the kids to is on a known drug corner? And she didn't know that. Stabler tells her the last time her great-grandson got in trouble for gun stuff, he was with Shorty and they did time together. They're like, just fucking tell us where he is. And she's like, okay, he had a terrible childhood, but just can you please not hurt him? Mm-hmm. They're at Sweetness's apartment building. The music is getting all swelly and crazy. Something's going to happen. My nips immediately get hard. Just kidding. They weren't. <laughs> Benson and Stabler. <laughs> just kidding. They weren't. I'm so sad. <laughs> Benson and Stabler are knocking on Sweetness's door. For some reason, they just open it. There's blood on the walls. Everything's fucking been tore up. Stabler sees an open window and crawls down the fire escape. He's like, party's down here. <laughs> it's so weird. So Stabler finds Sweetness all bloody in the alley. He's alive, but he has his throat cut. And Stabler's like, who did this to you? Who cut you, Sweetness? He's trying to talk and he whispers some shit into Stabler's ear and then dies in Stabler's arms. So Stabler thinks he said machete, but what he was saying was machete, like machete, Mm -hmm. like Spanish for machete. Yeah. Okay, so Benson, Stabler, and Cabot are in Cragen's office, and they're all explaining to Cabot that the drawing Elias did wasn't premeditation, but actually the image of Shorty's murder. He witnessed it and wants to tell, but he's seen what happens to those who talk in that world, so he hasn't said anything this Mm -hmm. whole time. Cabot's got her hands tied because of her boss pushing to make an example of the kid, and they need him to speak on Shorty's murder. Mm -hmm. And apparently he, he wasn't held then. He was able to go home until the hearing because his lawyer won the motion so Cragen sends them out on it. Benson and Stabler are at Elias's family home. The Barreras and their lawyer are like fuck if you're talking to him. Voice of Reason Olivia calmly shows the parents the drawing and says that they believe Elias witnessed a murder the night before shooting Carly. And they're like oh okay. Mm-hmm. And they're going to let them talk yeah. to him. And Stabes is going to be the one mm-hmm. to do it. And he gently gets the whole story out of Elias. He was with Sweetness running around who has apparently been using him as a little bag man mm-hmm. he says he puts little bottles in my pockets mm-hmm. which i assume are like crack vials i don't know are, are, right? i have no idea what goes in they're like these little glass i was thinking like little things of like fireball or something like I don't know. <laughs> no they're like really tiny they're like that's what crack goes into yeah i would imagine them being sold at the craft <laughs> store <laughs> Like shorty and sweetness are going into fucking Michaels and they're like, how many of these do you have in stock? Because, you know, that's where you get like the little baggies, too, for math. What if somebody went up to a drug dealer and got some crack in the little vial and was like, oh, cute. (laughs) I'm going to put some little pebbles in this after after I do all this crack. I'm going to put this in my fairy garden. (laughs) But what if the drug dealer was like, I know, right? He's like, I just got this little gnome, too. I couldn't help it. I'm going to fill these little bottles with different colored sand. (laughs) During the situation, Sweetness told Elias to stay in the room. Elias didn't, and he saw Machete shoot Shorty. And he doesn't know Machete, but he heard Shorty call him that. So it's not like it's a guy that he knew. He just heard his name Mm -hmm. said. He said the shot was quiet because Machete did it through a pillow. And he then hid the gun and took off when he heard sirens. Sweetness cleaned up the body and took it out in a big suitcase while Elias hid in a closet. Mm -hmm. Elias took the gun because he didn't want Machete to come back and kill him too. He's so little. He's like so little. Elias told Staves it happened when his sister was in the hospital. He was staying with Mrs. Strata. So Benson and Stabler head back to Mrs. Strata's place. She's all flustered but says she was asleep between 10 and midnight that night and her meds knock her out pretty hard. They go in and forensics is already like balls to the wall in the apartment. They're spraying luminol. They turn all the lights off. They pull out their fucking UV thing. Yeah. And they see blood with wheel marks in it and Benson goes like wheels on a big ass suitcase (laughs) I know 
<laughs> I didn't catch that until I watched it earlier today. I was like, yeah, did she just say yeah. big ass suitcase? <laughs> so the Elias story is coming together and they want to check out why Elias heard sirens that night. Because the sirens were going off, not because the cops were coming for that fucking shooting. Mm -hmm. It was something else. So they're like, we got to figure out this part of it. They're putting the pieces together. Yep. So Benson and Stabler at the 15th Precinct Detective Squad, a fluffy haired beat cop. <laughs> this guy's hair was so, I wish you could watch it again because his hair was so fucking fluffy. He was like Rick Joyner. Yeah. <laughs> I just picture your dad when you say fluffy hair. <laughs> okay. A fluffy haired beat cop tells Benson and Stabler the, the cops were called for a party that got out of hand. There was a brawl and it had spilled out into the courtyard. There were 35 statements. Benson and Stabler were like, okay, we're taking these because that was like the same time Machete took off. They were taking statements of anybody that left the building. Yeah. So they were thinking that Machete left the building at the same time. So he may have been stopped as well. So they're in Craigan's office. Benson and Stabler have eliminated 28 names on the list based on the age and gender. I love when they do these little rundowns on SVU. Like they, they love doing it. And then it they're too. like, we already did this, this, and this, and this, like that, you mean? Yeah, where they're like, all right, 35 names. We narrowed it down to eight because of this. And then we narrowed it down from there by people's records. And then, you know, yeah, it's fun to hear. Yeah. We started with a list of 2,000 possible perps. Now we're down to two guys, <laughs> and one of them is in Europe. <laughs> So then they like know the game. Yeah. It just makes it sound like it happened really fast, but really they've been spending like a full week with no sleep. Yeah, on it. for sure. This was one because they're they were like, we already talked to all 28 people. We're down to eight. And it's like we missed a few fucking days, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so Benson and Stabler had eliminated 28 names on the list based on like Elias's descriptions. Eight suspects are left, five of which have records and mug shots. And Elias recognized two of them. Craigan is in a fucking mood. <laughs> Yeah. Because he goes, uh, unless I'm one of them, I don't know why you're standing here. <laughs> <laughs> So Elias was positive neither of them were Machete, and the three that were left without records were Kyung Kwan, who's the owner of the market that gave all the IDs to them earlier, Nikki Crow, the fucking religious store clerk guy, and Bobby Cruz, the other kid that was like standing on the corner, that the El Coho guy or whatever. So first of all, this is all really weird that they're all partying together, by the way. Oh, but they're all from the same neighborhood. I guess like why why was Kyung Kwan That's with what them, I though? like He's like annoyed with everybody. He probably just lives in the same building. Yeah. Maybe he was like getting his mail and he's like, oh, I hate that this party's going on. I'm making note of it just in case a cop has to ask me about it tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. So No, he came out of his apartment. He came out of his apartment because there was a party going on and it was getting crazy and then he saw the cops and he's like i'm gonna tell them everything that i heard <laughs> i'm sure i'm exactly. sure after like benson stabler left his market bobby cruz was like hey like where are you are you still coming to that kegger tonight or, or whatever <laughs> and he's like yeah you guys need to chill out get off my corner so craigan's like was kyung wong too helpful to benson stabler like where it was suspicious and then launches like nikki crow profits off the piety of local santeros and then <laughs> stabler's like bobby cruz is a drug dealer that's it yeah <laughs> Craigan's like, Elias needs some fucking points with the DA office. Let's see if we can do a walk by. To ID Machete, yeah. which is fucking scary. Yeah. So they're on the street. It's at night. Benson and Stabler have Elias in like a weird little piglet mask. It's super cute. It's the creepiest fucking pig mask with a top hat on. <laughs> I thought it was cute. I thought it was horrific. Okay. It looks like one of those like cupies you would draw yeah. though. This is to cover his identity. They're gonna like it's nighttime and they're gonna like walk him around this fucking shitty neighborhood to see if they can ID Machete. But here's the fucking thing I have a problem with. His lawyers with them, by the way. Mm -hmm. Benson and Stabler have already talked to these people, so they're gonna know that that fucking little kid with the pig mask on 
is Elias and they know who Elias's lawyer is because the shit is all over the media and everybody knows about it. You would just think they would have gotten like some plain clothes cops to like make it less obvious that you know what i mean yeah oh it was stupid that is stupid i didn't put all that together the first place they go into is to nikki crow's place they Mm. already talked to him it's gonna he remembers who they are and they just had this little kid in tow yeah no this is my son i'm taking out on dangerous cop stuff don't mind the pig mask (laughs) we're gonna get going to get a sacrificial chicken cool it's like don't mind the he wears a piglet mask because he's ugly as shit (laughs) It's the purge tonight. I don't know if you knew that. (laughs) Stabler's like, okay, squeeze my hand if you see somebody that looks like Machete. Yeah, so they're going into the Santeria shop. Nikki Crow comes out and Elias immediately squeezes the shit out of Stabler's hand and they send Elias out with his lawyer and go to arrest Nikki. Did you see the sweet, the sweet spin move Stabler did? Where he like hands off. Yeah. Yeah, it was perfect. So Nikki tries to bribe Benson and Stabler with a brick of fucking cash, Mm -hmm. begging them not to arrest him. This is fucking SVU, dude. Not gonna work. Yeah. This is he's like cost of doing business. And I'm like, not these cops, Nikki. <laughs> That's right. But that worked out great because Stabes is like, that right there is a class B felony. Mm-hmm. So now they can fucking hold him even if they can't figure it out for a minute mm-hmm. because he just tried to bribe a couple of fucking cops. Yep. So we're in the office of Dr. Elizabeth Olivet. She's a How much do you want? All of it. (laughs) (laughs) She's a child psychologist or something. She's talking to Elias. She's telling Elias that he's Mm -hmm. safe now and Machete's in jail. They really need to get this fucking kid to talk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She asked him how he felt the day of the shooting and he draws this like little picture of him being scared. He starts talking and he says that he had seen Machete and those like dudes on the fence. So it was those guys that were talking to the kid. So I watched a second time. You you do see Machete in the way back. Mm -hmm. He thinks that they came to hurt him and he actually was wasn't shooting at Carly he was shooting at Machete he's like what do you think is gonna happen to me and then she says what do you think should happen which I think is like a really weird thing to say to a seven-year-old I think that in this kind of situation they are trying to get stuff like you can't ask leading questions and there's like a very specific way to talk to a kid to get them to talk Mm -hmm. openly and truthfully you know so I think I do think it's a weird question to ask a kid but I think that it's just how they have to go about like, it. Like how he will respond to it is going to be very telling. Yeah. So he starts scribbling like red all around the person he thinks he's going to burn in hell. Yeah. And I want that one super confident, expensive lawyer from a couple episodes ago to, to pop his head in and go, hey, kid, good news. There is no hell. Oh, the, the yeah. So Cabot's back at the office of, of her boss, Charlie Phillips or whatever the fuck. Chief Assistant DA Chuck Phil. Old Chucky Phil Phil. Old Chucky Philly. He's like, I know why you're here. And she's like, I'm not fucking picking up a case i want to drop elias's and he's like fuck no she's like we only got machete because of the drawing the vice principal corroborates elias's story those fucking dudes were there and he was trying to shoot them not carly it was Mm self-defense and she was like carly was a tragedy but not an intention right the whole time they're having this conversation it's a walk and talk yeah which matters yeah and uh he's like no well just fine amend it to manslaughter and she's like i don't want to do this like i'm not going to prosecute a child for like a series of society's mistakes yeah they're going down the elevator and she's arguing 
with super valid points how things led to this because every one of our systems suck. But he's a fucking dick and responds with, yeah, I doubt anyone at Sing Sing had a real great childhood. Mm -hmm. Cabot's like, what the fuck? Yeah, she's pissed and she's like, you're fucking unbelievable. And he does this like hilarious shoulder flop. Did I think I sent it to you. <laughs> I didn't. You sent me, you sent me like a short clip of it and you're like, look at his little shoulders. He like does this like, <laughs> no, like throws his shoulders back and he's like, I'm second in command and I have the DA's full support in this. Someone needs to be held responsible because that's what the people want and it's not mm -hmm. about what's right. Yep. So he goes on stage. All the media that exists is there. This is like at the end of their walk too. Like they're like, she's walking into a trap is what's happening. 100%. Yeah. So he says to them that he's placing full authority into the worthy hands of a person who has been intimately involved in every aspect of the case from the beginning and fucking walks over to Cabot. Oh, and throws her under the bus. Yeah. Where they're in the squad room and everyone's watching on TV. They're all like, what the fuck, C-A-D-A, Chuck Phil? Munch is like, he fucking hung her out to dry, dude. This is not a word I've ever used, but the only one I can think of is she is fucking gobsmacked mm -hmm. by this announcement and she goes through the motions of stepping up to the podium and trying to take it on, like answering fucking mm -hmm. tough questions. Either way, she loses. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Half the people are gonna hate her and half the people are gonna think it was a great idea. There's nothing she can do. There's nothing they can do to help Cabot and Craigan says that Cabot needs to look at alternate solutions. Mm -hmm. And then there was this really quick scene where Cabot's in Dr. Liz Olivet's office. Just a reminder though that she's that little like child psychologist. Yeah. Just a little child psychologist. Little baby child <laughs> they drink some tea, hate on the boys club, and all of it gives Cabot some advice on not making war, but making peace. And Cabot's like, <gasps> Yeah. Light bulb. So they're at the family court capacity hearing to determine whether Elias can even go to trial. Mm -hmm. Both state examiners say that Elias is competent to stay on trial. He understands right and wrong. He also understands the roles of everyone in the court process, which bullshit because I don't even understand yeah. everybody's roles. Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Olivet is then on the stand and agrees that those assessments are true, but she doesn't believe that he was aware of that when he pulled the trigger. And the defense is then done with their questions. Cabot gets up and hands Dr. Olivet Elias's drawing of himself scared and fiery hell. And I don't want to take away from the weight of this moment, but they show the drawing and it's a glass of orange juice situation because the person has more hair, the fire squiggles are bolder, the continuity was destroyed for me, and now I don't care about what happens to this kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I noticed that too. I'm gonna I'm gonna post the pictures because it's yeah. clearly two different drawings. Clearly. It's the hairline. Come on. Oh my god, the eyes, they were like Elias. I watched him make circles and these ones were like squigglies. I was like, yeah. this is bullshit electric chair. Put this kid in the electric chair. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, sorry. If they don't think that we're going to see it, we're going to see it. And we know <laughs> Elias is the shooter. Elias is fucking Nikki the Santeria store owner, and he unzips and outsteps a seven-year-old boy. Oh, my God. But then he unzips and outsteps a tiny dictator with a cigar and a white suit. Wearing a pig mask with a top hat. <laughs> it was him the whole time. <laughs> It's a piglet wearing a top hat. It is pig monopoly guy. That's who did it. And then unzip that and it's three chickens. <laughs> and they all go for Tasha's face. Okay. <laughs> 
So Cabot leads Olivet down a line of questioning that allows the doctor to explain all kids have some concept of right and wrong. And the explanation for his lapse in judgment was mortal fear and imitating behavior. Mm -hmm. So he was imitating behavior without understanding it. And she bases it all on his age and development. Cabot tells her she can step down. She does. And Cabot takes this like huge breath. Mm -hmm. And she goes, the people defer to Dr. Olivet's findings that the minor lacked the capacity to understand the consequences of his actions and therefore should not be held responsible. Murmurs ripple across the courtroom. Cut to Carly's mom. Rip my fucking heart out. Mm. Cut to Elias's parents. It's really, it's lose-lose. Although I completely agree with what Dr. Olivet said and what Cabot did with it, seeing Carly's mom get just gut-punched and see zero justice in the loss of her seven-year-old daughter. I know. I was wondering how that's something like that like does she sue the parents for some sort of like yeah well that's i mean, I mean mm. that's shit that happens then parents get they go to civil court as the next step which doesn't if they're under do 18 anything. you'd think the parents are responsible then you know yeah. So gavel slam, case closed. There isn't one. Cabot walks out of the courthouse surrounded by reporters and cameras, just like a mob of press yelling at her. And Carly's mom quietly steps up. Everyone's quiet. And Cabot steps aside. And Carly's mom says that she's grateful for their support, but tells them to go home and take care of their children. I got... Ugh viscerally emotional yeah so then the next scene is cabot walking into the precinct and munch greeting her by calling her teflon mm -hmm. and they're all like jovial telling her great job and they ask her to come along to mcmullen's for a celebratory <laughs> drink she's one of the crew <laughs> craigan turns his back to answer a phone oh god I know. but really I was... just holding it against his ear yeah nobody talks on the, the end of the phone that we watch every time we see someone pick up a fucking phone i think it's a season two easter egg because every single episode someone's picked up a phone not moved their mouth and then hung it up with a bunch of information <laughs> so toots asks craigan if he's coming and rude he's on the phone okay Tsutsuola. but craigan just like his back still to camera he slowly hangs up the phone and hangs his head and i'm like oh fucking great yeah i know i was like what happened what the fuck happened i'm like i doubt we're going for beer and cheese curds now guys <laughs> benson and stabler pull up to the scene fucking elias was trying to play ball with some kids in the neighborhood and he was shunned and was walking away alone and he was killed by a 12 year old named tj a neighbor so TJ's a little kid too, and he's being drugged to a cop car and he's yelling, you can't kill a sister and get away with it. And Benson's like, the cycle continues. And Staves is like, welcome to the Gaza Strip. I didn't understand that. I didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> I know the Gaza Strip is like tough, Yeah, but that's the end. Yep. That's the end, Elias is dead. <laughs> Fucking hate it. Yeah. So because this episode mentioned Columbine, that's what we're going to talk about. Ooh, just kidding. I'm, I'm excited yeah. to hear about it. Last time Columbine was mentioned, we took note of it and we were like, this will be brought up again. So like, we don't need to do the chaser on it. I don't remember what I did the chaser on that episode, but we were like, we're going to cover it at some point. And today is the day. Mm -hmm. So here we go. Okay. Oh, I'm already and pissed. It's, okay, go ahead. It's a lot. Like there is so much information on the Columbine shooting. Yeah that it was really hard to fucking sift through all of it. Eric Harris was born April 9th, 1981. His perfect. <laughs> Are you joking? Yes. No. I didn't, oh. I, don't, I didn't know their names. I don't know their names. Oh, okay. His dad was a transport pilot for the U.S. Air Force, so the family moved around a lot as 
a lot of military families do. Mm -hmm. Eric was resentful about moving so much, and the most difficult for him was the move from New York to Colorado in 1993 when his dad retired from the military. So in seventh grade in Colorado, Eric met and became friends with Dylan Klebold. Dylan Klebold was born September 11th, 1981. Is he the other shooter? Is he going to be the other shooter? He is. No, this is actually the story of Dr. Seuss and his best friend, Eric Harris. Um, no, I thought you were going to gasp because Dylan Klebold was born on September 11th. No, that is fucked up. His parents were both pacifists and Lutherans. His dad was an engineer, and his mother worked in assistance services with disabled children. Dylan was in gifted programs as a child. He was in Cub Scouts, played soccer, baseball. You would have called him a well-rounded kid. Mm-hmm. Dylan and Eric spent tons of their time together. They were inseparable. People described Eric as charismatic and likable. Uh, it was also said that he was quick to anger, and in the recordings later dubbed the basement tapes. He had bragged about his ability to deceive people, stating that he could make anyone believe anything. And Dylan, on the other hand, dealt with a crippling shyness, rarely opening up to others. So again, these guys were inseparable best friends. Classmates actually really seemed to like Dylan, but his journals, everybody kept a fucking journal. Wait, Dylan Dylan is the shy one. Dylan's the shy one. It's crazy finding out like there's so many psychological studies that have been done on these Mm -hmm. two because there's so much written information from the themselves Mm -hmm. because of the journaling that they were really able to put together like a profile of each of them so classmates actually really seemed to like dylan but his journals made it clear that he didn't see that he would often say that he wasn't accepted or loved but that's another like normal teeny thing teens seemingly normal teeny thing in january of 1998 the two boys broke into a van to steal computers and electronic equipment they both incurred a number of charges but they each left good impressions on the juvenile officers so they were able to have their records expunged and were discharged early from their probationary programs for good behavior this was something that people referenced a lot as eric had written this letter of apology Mm -hmm. and it had been picked apart later on because it was like the stark opposite of what he wrote in his journal which was like fuck that guy what a fucking asshole what an idiot leaving his shit sitting out in his van fuck that piece of shit Mm -hmm. and his letter was like not only of like seemingly genuine remorse but also a desire to change behavior and like all of these things that he didn't need to put into a letter of apology but he like got off on lying to people he like enjoyed the feeling of deceiving people Mm -hmm. in December of 1998 Harris and Klebold made Hitmen for Hire it was a video where they acted as characters who were violent, aggressive, and acted out shooting and killing students in the hallways of Columbine High School. Because okay. they were like in film program stuff and my friends and I made movies when we were in high sure. school. Like the fucked up thing is that we go back and look at what these guys did and we're like, oh, they made a movie where they were hitmen like shooting people in the school and none of the stuff, the like the journals, the attitude that Eric had toward this fucking guy when they got in trouble, like none of that stuff would seem weird, you know? But then once it, when it's all put together with like what what, where it culminated to, it's super fucked up stuff. Yeah, yeah, when it's all put together. So, April 20th, 1999. This date is, it's not something that I have to look up because I remember it like it was yesterday, first mm-hmm. of all. April 20th is my mom's birthday. And Hitler's um, birthday. And it's also, what? And Hitler's birthday. And, <laughs> you think I don't know that my mom was born on the same day as Hitler? Of course I know that. It's also 420, so... A normal April 20th was a pretty busy day for high school Tasha. Mm. So initially the intended day for the massacre at Columbine was Monday, April 19th, 1999. It was to fall on the same day as the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing when Timothy McVeigh bombed and killed 168 people. 
At this time, school shooting wasn't a term that we all knew yet. It wasn't the first, but at this point, it was the most deadly, and it was also the first to play out on live television. Mm -hmm. There were also the infamous basement tapes. Between the days of March 15th to April 20th, 1999, the two made a series of videos detailing their plans and discussing their reasoning. There are detailed reports on these tapes, but they were destroyed in early 2011 because everyone decided that they don't need to be seen or heard. Why? But they are transcribed, so you can read all of it. Why would they fucking destroy those? Ultimately, they were like, yeah, that would probably be really shitty. We don't need their fucking video manifesto to be out here. Because that's the thing is they want to be heard. Mm. And also, these guys planned this for like a year. They had journals, drawings, blueprints, just plans for months, which is another psychologically surprising when looked at because it wasn't impulsive. Yeah. I mean, the way it ended up playing out that day was. Okay, in an article I read called Columbine and the Myth of the School Shooter, writer Stephen Cromack puts it in pretty clear context. He said, quote, After everything, the FBI concluded that Eric Harris was a psychopath who had no empathy, narcissistic traits, and unconstrained aggression. Harris's diary suggested that he was launching an act of domestic terrorism whose roots extended back through the bombing of the Oklahoma City Federal Building in 1995 and the 1993 standoff between federal authorities and a cult known as the Branch Davidians in Waco, oh, yeah. Texas. Well, and as you know, the Oklahoma City bombing was on the anniversary Waco. of... Waco. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. Timothy McVeigh did so that on purpose. Waco was on a 420 as well? Or no, no I no, mean, no, no, um, no. April, April 19th. 19th. Yeah. Whoa, yeah. I didn't know um, that they all... April 19th, 1993, and then Oklahoma City happened April 19th, 1995. Dave Cullen is the journalist who spent over 10 years studying Columbine. He wrote, quote, In his journal, Eric would brag about topping McVeigh. Oklahoma City was a one-note performance. McVeigh set his timer and walked away. He didn't even see his spectacle unfold. Mm. The word psychopath is used for Eric Harris in the most scientific terms. I'm going to read this excerpt from a Slate.com article I read called The Depressive and the Psychopath. Okay. In popular usage, almost any crazy killer is a psychopath, but in psychiatry, it's a very specific mental condition that rarely involves killing or even psychosis. Psychopaths are not disoriented or out of touch with reality, nor do they experience the delusions, hallucinations, or intense subjective distress that characterize most other mental disorders, writes Dr. Robert Hare in Without Conscience, the seminal book on the condition. Mm -hmm. He goes on to say, Unlike psychotic individuals, psychopaths are rational and aware of what they are doing and why. Their behavior is the result of choice, freely exercised. Mm -hmm. Diagnosing Harris as a psychopath represents neither a legal defense nor a moral excuse, mm -hmm. but it illuminates a great deal about the thought process that drove him to mass murder. Yeah, it's like a... I felt like that was really important to say because, yeah, I'm going to talk about Eric Harris being a psychopath and Dylan Klebold being, like, insanely depressed. Those are not excuses... And it's not like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's an explanation, not an excuse. That's exactly what I was just going to say. Yeah. As big as it was, like experts and people wanted to understand, like, what would drive them to do that. Mm -hmm. Dylan Klebold was concluded to be an angry depressive with low self-esteem. He also had anxiety and eventual attitude toward those he believed mistreated him. So his journal was full of suicidal writings, venting rants about not being accepted, and stories of unrequited love. So he's like your classic incel. Yeah. One of the most disturbing things I read was that psychiatrists who deeply studied those two said that without Eric, Dylan would never have done something oh, like of course, this. Yeah. 
these experts speculated that Dylan may have eventually been caught for some petty crime and if had gotten help could have just been a normal dude living a normal life. Right. But the same psychiatrists say that because of Eric's sick mind and lack of a conscience, he would have gone on developing this drive and gone on to do something else unspeakably atrocious. Mm -hmm. Like, he could have been a serial killer or any number of, like, fucked up things, depending on whatever road he went down. He was going to end up doing something fucked up and awful. So, Is there a possibility that he could have ended up doing something, like, awesome? Super awesome? Like, it's either, like, you either going to be, like, a mastermind criminal or a mastermind, like, scientist or something. Well, the thing that made that dangerous is because he completely lacked empathy. I read something somewhere they were talking about, like, the condition that they ended up deciding he he had the way they described it and this is a fucked up way to describe it so like hold on to your hold on to your britches but they said that what people that have this lack of emotion or lack of empathy are the same people that can cut up a human body and they don't see it any different than like carving a thanksgiving so he turkey was, he was like, like they have the same level of emotion like De out. yeah okay. he would have no internal conflict if he had to do something fucked up to a mm -hmm. person or he chose to do something fucked up to a person there there was no conflict in him at all yeah. so that's why he wouldn't have gone on to do something awesome he would have gone it would have been a sick he was too sick again not an excuse he was just a fucked up yeah. person missing something in his brain okay april 20th 1999 at about 11 10 a.m dylan and eric arrived at columbine high school and parked their cars loaded with explosives at two separate exits the first person to see them was brooks brown a classmate he was outside smoking and started giving eric shit about missing this huge test they had that morning and eric laughed and said it doesn't matter anymore brooks i like you now get out of here go home Whoa. okay dylan and eric walked into the cafeteria with duffel bags that contained homemade pipe bombs set to go off at 11 17 during a lunch because you know how like yeah, a and b yeah yeah you have like a early lunch late lunch this is when the cafeteria was most crowded as many as 600 people what? were scheduled to be in that space when the bombs were set to go off 600 kids people including staff and whatever i think i think it was like in the mid 400s that were actually there at that time it was like four i think it, they accounted like 433 that were there but as many as 600 could be in that space at one time okay. during a lunch oh my god so these bombs were set to go off at this time they never did okay the bombs that did go off were ones that they set in a field about three miles from the school as a diversion so a 911 call was made at 11:19 to report the field explosion um and that was just to get cops over there to buy themselves time yeah so after their cafeteria bombs didn't detonate they changed their plan this from here on out it's completely different than what they were originally planning first they set the bombs that they had in their cars and then they had back to the school with two sawed-off shotguns, a 9mm semi-automatic carbine rifle, and a 9mm Tech DC-9 semi-automatic pistol. You know, they thought they were fucking doom. Right. You know? Yeah. They played that video game a lot, and they were, like, just decked out with ammo yeah. and shit. Hold on. So, um, outside... Can I ask another question? Before... Yeah. 
before that, what was their plan? They were just going to blow up and then not shoot people or just blow up? Their original plan was to blow up the school during lunch with a concentrated group in that room and then sit outside and shoot any survivors attempting to flee the school. Mm. They also had their cars strategically placed at two main exit points, which were also supposed to be uh, triggered to detonate, right. leaving like one exit for people to leave from, which is where they were going to shoot people right. from. So outside the two open fire, Rachel Scott and Daniel Rohrbaugh were shot and killed. This is a quote from Brooks Brown. Quote, I went to go have my cigarette and heard gunshots, so I took off and started running. I went to random houses, called the cops, and told them I knew who it was. It was Eric. It had to have been. So the kid that passed by them that was like, yeah, was like dude, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, you, you weren't in class. And he told him to leave, and he's like, whatever. And then he heard gunshots. So just how fucked, dude. Yeah. Teacher Peggy Dodd looked out the library window and saw Dylan, quote, standing on the hill, just shooting. She saw him holding a gun with both hands and was shooting using a sweeping motion. Oh my God, yeah. Witnesses outside say that he was shooting at people on the soccer field, but nobody was physically injured oh, there. they were outside? When they first started shooting, yeah. Oh. They first started shooting people outside. Okay. Because there were people like sitting outside for lunch. Kids in the cafeteria were then warned by a girl running in from outside screaming, someone's shooting, someone's shooting. Teacher and coach Dave Sanders had noticed along with other staff that there was commotion in the cafeteria and they went in there to find out what the chaos was because kids were just like jumping up and freaking out. Mm. So he stayed and began to evacuate students. Kids left all of their shit behind to tear out of the east exit of the building. Some even ran out of their shoes attempting to flee. Whoa. Eric and Dylan entered the mostly empty cafeteria and opened fire, shooting Dave Sanders twice. Dave was able to get cover in a science room with another teacher and a group of students, one of which who was an Eagle Scout, who then attempted life-saving first aid, but sadly the SWAT team did not get to him in time, and he ended up bleeding to death. Mm. So this kid, Greg Barnes, was watching through a science room window, like watching them in the cafeteria, saw his coach because he was an athlete, so he knew this coach well, saw him, because he stayed to help kids, was shot, and then he ended up dying, and Greg killed himself two weeks later. Jesus. Like, imagine like, the fucking trauma, you know? Holy shit. Though, Dave Sanders' death was among the reasons protocol was changed in these types of situations, because if SWAT would have gotten to him sooner, could have very likely survived his injuries. Can you imagine being the parent of that athlete where you're like, oh my god, my kid survived Columbine, and then two <sighs> weeks later, like, it's, it's fucking awful. Alright, so this is when police began to arrive, and the shooters periodically exchanged fire with them throughout the rest of this time. Many students were able to escape at this time and huddled behind Deputy Scott Taborski's squad car, mm. and they were reporting to him about the two gunmen in black trench coats with Uzis and hand grenades. The shooters went through the school terrorizing and shooting classmates. Witnesses say they remember seeing the boys and at first thought they had prop guns and were maybe filming something because, again, they were doing that kind of shit. Another surviving student said that he thought it was a senior prank and they had paintball guns. Mm. So Eric and Dylan also had backpacks full of homemade pipe bombs and Molotov cocktails that they were throwing around as they ransacked the high school. Okay, so at this point, police were outside and getting information from those who had fled the building. They had also set up a triage at Yukon Street and Cali Avenue for the many that fled injured. 911 dispatch was also getting insider information from teacher Patty Nielsen, who had been shot but escaped to the library where she told everyone there to hide. And the library was always super busy at this time. Everybody's got some sort of 
of a break. They're hanging out. They're doing homework. They're reading. They're like sitting around with friends. She told them all to hide. There were three staff members and 55 students in the library. Patty hid behind the checkout desk and would stand the phone with 911 for the duration of the shooting. Eric and Dylan entered the library at 11.29 a.m. Oh, my God. They stalked through the library, terrorizing and shooting, killing Kyle Velasquez, Steve Kernow, Cassie Bernal. Possibly the biggest piece of wildfire misinformation was that 17-year-old Cassie Bernal was asked by one of the shooters, Eric, if she believed in God, and she said yes before being shot to death. Mm -hmm. This narrative placed her at the forefront of the evangelical movement. And I remember hearing about this at church, on TV. Her parents wrote a book called She Said Yes. Mm -hmm. It really fed the narrative of martyrdom to Christian teens. Right. I believe that, but that's not me just saying that. Like, these are, it is what it did in the movement. Right. The thing is, it wasn't Cassie. It was another student, Valine Schnur, who was also shot, but she survived. That was one of those myths that was pretty much immediately debunked, but people jumped on it anyway. What truly happened with her was as she hid under a table with another girl, Eric spotted them, slapped on the table twice, and he bent down and said, peekaboo, and shot and killed Cassie. Oh my fucking God. The other girl lived. Okay. Yeah, I remember it being something like, if you say you don't love God, I'll shoot you. And she's like, I love God, or whatever. You know. No, what he said to Valine was, I think she was already injured. And he was like, do you believe in God? And she's like, no, yes. Just trying to answer mm -hmm. the way he wanted to hear. Yeah, which is completely fucking reasonable. Yeah. He was like, you know, why? And she goes, well, it was, it was how I was raised, or it was how I grew up, mm -hmm. or whatever. And... I don't remember what he said, like, that's stupid or something, and shot her. The Valine thing, mm -hmm. the crazy thing, and see, I wasn't even going to put all this stuff in there, so I don't have this other girl's name, which I really should, but Eric shot Valine, and the kickback from his gun broke his nose. Whoa. So he had, like, blood pouring out of his nose, and then all these other kids had reported, like, witness reports, they said it looked like he had been drinking blood. Can it get any fucking more terrifying, right. like, than that having that visual, too? But so then he went to another girl, and this is the girl I don't have her name, but he went under, she was under a table she was begging him not to kill her and she's like I, ha I have a family and a fiance or whatever like he gave a shit mm. but it's just something you say when you have a gun in your face you know Dylan was like on the other side of the room and he's like hey and Eric's like oh yeah I fucking you know my gun broke my nose or whatever and so he was distracted because his nose hurt mm -hmm. and then he's talking to Dylan and Dylan's like then called him over to these other kids and he didn't shoot that girl and I read somewhere that she didn't sleep for four days yeah. after the, yeah. Yeah. Isaiah Scholes was the next victim, and he was one of the reasons that the reports came of them targeting minorities because they said some really disgusting racially driven things before and after shooting and killing him. Mm. The shooters went on to then kill Matthew Kechter, Lauren Townsend, John Tomlin, and Kelly Fleming. They had been in the library for five minutes. Mm. As they went to the center of the library to reload their weapons, Eric spotted a fellow student and commanded that he identify himself. It was an acquaintance of Dylan's, and as Dylan aimed a gun at his head, John Savage made himself known and asked Dylan what he was doing. Yeah. Dylan replied, oh, just killing people. Okay. John asked if he was going to kill him too, and Dylan told him to get out, and John took off. Whoa. Um, so two more students would die in the library before the shooters left. Corey DePooter and Daniel Mauser. Mm. The shooters left the library with 34 students physically uninjured for some fucking reason. And there were quite a few accounts throughout the entire thing where kids said that they played dead. One I remember reading about 
um, this kid had smeared, ugh, this kid had smeared another student's blood on his face to appear shot and killed. Mm. Oh my God. Um, so the two then made their way back to the cafeteria and they shot at the duffel bag bombs that had failed to detonate and were like, it seemed uh, there's security footage of Dylan looking like he's trying to figure it out. Mm hmm. But the bombs just like would not go off. And one, they did, they shot at one for a while and there was flammable liquid in there and it did end up starting a fire, but then it, it was put out. One thing said it was put out by a teacher, but another thing said it was put out by the, what is it called? Sprinklers. Yeah. A student hiding in the cafeteria heard one of them say, quote, today the world's going to come to an end. Today's the day we die. The Denver SWAT team arrived at 1149 and received authorization to enter the school. A few minutes later, the entire country would know what was happening in Littleton. Live news coverage started, and I remember the teacher rolling in one of those TVs on a cart, and we turned it on and mm -hmm. watched all of the live news coverage. Kids running from the building, huddled behind a cop car during the standoff. Like, these are images that I remember. I remember that one guy climbing out of the window. Yeah. yeah. I remember being confused about what I was seeing at first when we were starting to watch it, and people were like, somebody's, like, somebody's taken people. They thought it was a hostage situation at first. I don't even remember when they were like, it's students that are doing this. The bell rang after this class was done for us to go to our next class, and we would walk in there, and there would be a TV in the room, and we would just continue to watch. Like, we mm -hmm. watched the footage and talked about what was happening for the rest of the school day. Like, that's how we mm -hmm. spent the day at school. Yeah. Like, I just remember people sitting on tables and desks and just, like, you know, you're not doing schoolwork, so kids fuck around. Nobody was fucking off. Right. Like, I can see the images of the kids crying and screaming and hugging, and there was, yeah. like, moments where I was like, should we be watching this? Mm -hmm. The next day at school was one of just, like, straight mental health maintenance, mm -hmm. and they had counselors available for all of us because we were all fucking scared. Mm -hmm. And for months after that, we went on to receive bomb threats, run drills, like they were scared of copycats happening. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have anything in place for something like this to happen. Yeah. Marilyn Manson was dragged hard oh, for right. influencing these guys, which wasn't a thing. Like all these goth kids got looked at extra sideways and it's like, let them just be weird and artsy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> They're just gothy kids. They're not, yeah. Let him yeah. be. They're not doing shit. So back to Columbine. Although SWAT arrived at 1149, they wouldn't begin entering until 1206. And it was later determined that right about this time is when, after re-entering the library, shooting out windows, and exchanging gunfire with police, the two shooters sat down and killed themselves. Mm. Now that was like at noon. At 4.30 okay. in the afternoon, Eric and Dylan were found by officers with fatal self-inflicted gunshot wounds to the head. Mm -hmm. SWAT began slowly sweeping the school for survivors. In some cases, kids were call it taking extra coaxing from SWAT since the team came in all black combat mm. boots with big ass guns trying to retrieve severely traumatized people. Yeah. Fucking I cannot emphasize enough how insane that shit is. Mm -hmm. And ugh. and people are lying underneath their dead friends hoping that they're thought to be dead. You know? That's so fucked. That is so fucked. Everybody has a story. But I'm just going to, out of respect, read the list of names of the 24 physically injured that day. Brian Anderson, Richard Castaldo, Jennifer Doyle, Stephen Austin Eubanks, Nicholas Nick Foss, Sean Graves, Mackay Hall, Anne-Marie Hawkhalter, Patrick Ireland, Michael Johnson, Joyce Janikowski, Mark Kintgen, Lisa Krutz, Lance Kirkland, Adam Kyler, Stephanie Munson, Patricia Patty Nielsen, Nicole Nolan, Gianna Park, Casey Rugsegger, Valine Schnur, Daniel Steepleton, Evan Todd, and Mark Taylor. Mm. So here's some misinformation that was reported. One, 
that Eric and Dylan were members of the Trenchcoat Mafia. The Trenchcoat Mafia was a group of friends who wore trench coats because one kid's mom bought him one and they were all like, cool, us too, bro. Like dusters, you mean? Yeah. This kid's mom was like, here's this weird jacket. And he's like, cool, and wore it to school. And then one of his friends was like, that's cool. I'm going to get one of those. And they were like a core group of pals. And then it was sort of like they were, you know, just like a thing. They were like outsider kids. Mm -hmm. But they had, like, a tight-knit group of friends. Like, it's in the fucking yearbook, like, the Trenchcoat Mafia, because that's what, you know, kids started calling them. But most of the Trenchcoat Mafia friend group had graduated before the massacre. Eric and Dylan wore trench coats that day, so it roped in this innocent group of friends. Uh. Some of them, like, knew them and stuff, but they weren't a part of this at all. Um, misinformation piece number two was that they targeted popular jocks, people of color, or any other group. It was a long-time narrative that they went in with the intention to target jocks, Christians, and minorities, but hmm. it's been declared untrue for a few reasons. The extensive writing and videos that the two had made in the months prior planning of that day, these things were never directly referenced. There were, however, plenty of shitty things said about quote-unquote Christian bitches, mm -hmm. and they used the N-word in reference to uh, classmate. So once the plan changed, like they did go into the library and demand that everybody with a white hat stand up, which at Columbine at the time, that was like, like athletes did that. Mm -hmm. You know how it's like, you know, we all, I'm trying to think of something that like a group of young people do. Like on Wednesdays we wear pink or whatever. It, yeah, 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 exactly. Jocks wore white hats and they were like, everybody with a white hat stand up. Nobody fucking moved. So were they not going to kill themselves, but then the plan changed so drastically? Or Everything I know? read made it sound like they had always planned to kill themselves. Okay. There was no exit plan that I had seen. Like, if that would be, like, I'm just, I'm saying it with, like, 95% certainty because it's possible, but, uh, but I don't think so. Okay. Okay, so they, Eric specifically, had this plan in mind, this, like, huge bombing plan in mind, because he wanted to become more infamous than, oh, I... <laughs> He wanted to become more infamous than Oklahoma City mediocre cis white male loser Timothy McVeigh. <laughs> I mean, those are the ones that are always fucking blowing shit up and killing people, so. Oh my God. Just the blandest fucking cream of wheat motherfucker. <laughs> if we're, like, we're going to be going by like stereotypes and being afraid of stereotypes, I don't know why people aren't the fuck afraid of white guys. I mean, I am. I am, yeah. But like, they do all the bad stuff. Anything with a dick is terrifying. No, yeah. <laughs> The initial plan was not to target specific kids. There were multiple occasions on the basement tapes where they call out fellow students by name. Mm -hmm. So another myth about Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold is that they were isolated loners. Nope. They both had a lot of friends. They both engaged in school activities, out of school activities. They worked part-time jobs with some of their buddies at a pizza shop. Mm -hmm. um, they were both in a bowling league. Eric Harris was a soccer player for the school as a freshman and a sophomore, and he played recreationally after that. Dylan Klebold was in a fantasy baseball league. So a few people were attempted to be held accountable since Eric and Dylan were not willing to be held accountable. Mm -hmm. Robin K. Anderson, the girl that Dylan went to prom mm -hmm. with, she was responsible for purchasing two shotguns and a high point carbine rifle for the underage boys. She was 18. Okay. She said later that she didn't know what they were planning 
and no formal charges were ever brought against her, but that's fucked up. Yeah. Mark Maines was arrested for selling a Tech DC-9 semi-automatic handgun to the boys for 500 bucks. He was sentenced to six years in prison four months after the shooting. So he served about a year and a half and then was released to a halfway house, and that was in 2002. And he had to wear... Who was he? Huh? Who was he? Like a gun dealer guy or what? Yeah. Well, he was a dude that they were introduced to by Philip Duran, who was a graduate of Columbine and worked at Blackjack Pizza with Dylan and Eric. He sold it to them illegally, maybe? Well, yeah, they were underage. Oh, oh, yeah. But Philip Duran was the kid that they worked with at the young adult that they worked with at Blackjack Pizza. And he introduced Dylan and Eric to Mark so that they could get the gun. And Philip, he had younger siblings at Columbine during the shootings. Oh, my God. And he pled guilty to charges for some level of facilitation for the introduction to Mark and received a four and a half year prison sentence in 2000. Okay, so I don't get why this chick didn't get charged with anything. Philip Duran was paroled after three and a half years. I don't, I don't know. Maybe she had a great lawyer. I know, she bought two guns and gave, I have no idea. One guy got charged just for like facilitating like people meeting each other. Then they knew what was going on. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on. Yeah, I don't know. Weird. That's a good question that I didn't think of when I was reading all this shit. And finally, Chris Morris, who was a friend of the boys, he had also attended Columbine and worked with them at Blackjack Pizza. He was handcuffed at the scene and detained for questioning, but then he was later released. But he was just a good friend of theirs, and he was super vocal about his hate of the school before the incident, which, normal teenage shit. And Chris was a member of the Trenchcoat Mafia. Again, they weren't, like, pals with everybody that was considered Trenchcoat Mafia. And it's easy to hate on these people, but also, it's, like, insanely fucked up to think that they have to live with that like their participation in it like not knowing the gravity of what they were gonna do you know what Mm -hmm. i mean yeah like i'm not saying that none of them knew anything but it's very possible that they didn't and then they just again it's just like that weird butterfly effect of like if i wouldn't have participated maybe something would have gone down a different road or whatever Mm mm-hmm I know it's not remembered as, like, a good movie, but I really liked that movie. What movie? Butterfly Effect. Oh, me too. No, like... It's super, like, there's so many, like, unfinished threads, but I don't care. I'm like, no, Amy Smart, you don't have to do that. It's like, what is it, like, the only way he can make sure none of that stuff happens is if he, like, wraps the umbilical cord around his head in his his own uterus or whatever? (laughs) Or is... Or is that the second one? I don't know. I didn't see the second one, but um, the first one, he just like went up to the girl at the birthday party the first time they met, and he's like, get away from here. I'll kill your whole family. And she's like, Jesus. And she went and lived with her mom. I haven't seen it in a while. I think I have it somewhere. Okay, so apologies were made by the Harris and Klebold families to the victims sometime after. Some expressed that they felt a more genuine energy from the Klebolds. Dylan Klebold's mom, Sue, is now an author and an activist, and she gave her very first interview 17 years after Mm. Columbine happened. So following everything, wrongful death suits were filed against the county and the shooter's parents. Uh, A bunch of suits were settled. Multiple suicides by parents of victims and survivors themselves followed in the years after the massacre. 
Many of the injured survivors were left with lifelong physical harm. Let's not even hit the psychological harm that they and many others undoubtedly experienced. So if you go to our website, svupod.com, and check out the source material under this episode, you can get so much more in-depth with interviews with the survivors, their stories, books they've written, and shit that they advocate for. Go support them. Because of what happened at Columbine, the U.S. Justice Department and other Fed agencies would partially fund a new program called ALERT, Advanced Law Enforcement Rapid Response Training. Because active shooter is a term that we unfortunately are very familiar with today, but at the time, police protocol was very different because that wasn't a thing that everyone was familiar with. Mm-hmm. They'd go in, set up a perimeter, and then methodically go through and clear each room. Now they go in with very particular formations and head directly toward the sound of gunfire. School shootings have become almost commonplace now. We're desensitized to them. 100%. I remember thinking yeah. at the time of Columbine, like, wow, this is definitely going to change gun laws. I could go on and on and on about this shit, but the thing that happened immediately following Columbine, they enforced some tougher purchasing restrictions, which were put in place in Colorado as a result, but our gun laws in this country are still fucked. Mm-hmm. There are still mass shootings. There are still school shootings. There are still fucking angry 17-year-olds that have access to semi-automatic weapons. Okay. Yeah. Next week, we've got episode six, non-compliance. A woman is raped and murdered, and a man is stabbed in a local store. (gasps) Mm. Will Cabot be able to convince a mentally ill man who witnessed the crime to take his medication in order to be lucid while testifying? Dun-dun. Oh, my God. There's no fucking kids uh, here. Not that this is, like, a great crime. Like, I'm not like, yay, rapes and stabbings. (laughs) Like, no. I'm halfway through it, and it's fucking good. It's good, like, because it's fucked up all right yeah i'm like i'm like three minutes in oh did i tell you remember how i accidentally called 911 yeah yesterday did i tell you that not as a child but yesterday as an almost 40 year old woman (laughs) not yet not yesterday but the uh a couple days ago but yesterday my upstairs because i you know i live in a flat so my upstairs neighbor was like talking to me and she she was fucking with her phone and accidentally dialed 911 too and had to be like hey set our address and i was like okay that's two times in three days that people have accidentally called 911 at the same address and they still didn't send anybody (laughs) that like bothers me i imagine somebody going 911 this is gwen what's your emergency nobody says they don't say their name (laughs) yeah they don't i mean in the midwest they do hope you're doing good thanks so much bye oh my gosh i hope this isn't too bad of an emergency oh god oh geez geez. i hope everybody's okay hello is everybody okay oh my god give me your mom's number i'm gonna call her on the other line ma'am i'm gonna need you to relax and calm down a little bit why don't you crack a seven up or any kind of pop you choose just relax We'll be there any minute. You got the crock pot on? I do. This time of year, I just can't not, you know? <laughs> Fuck you, Abby. What's she right? She's giving me shit about my Takashi 69 problem. <laughs> Why? Are you trying to get her to watch it too? Or? Oh, I've been trying to get her to watch this. But so we were like sending shit back and forth about our merch stuff. And so she sent me this thing of like just like rolling in like $3. And then she's like, also your love of Takashi 69 both disgusts and fascinates me. <laughs> Same. And I was like, I'm less attracted to him than I was yesterday, if that helps. And she's like, wait, you're attracted, oh, you're attracted to attra- him? He's like 12. <laughs> and I'm like, no, he's not. He's like 20. 24. <laughs> I didn't know that there was like a, an attraction there. Well, you know, 
well, isn't going to turn in, into one of those Channing Tatum things. Is you're the like only that? one that had a Channing Tatum thing. I know. Is it going to turn out like how I was? Because that hurt. I don't think I could get Me. to that point. I No, I could. There's no way. There's no God, way. that sucked. And she's like appalled and surprised and as are you. Like, oh my God, you're attracted to him? Yeah, I dated exclusively fuckboys until I met my husband. Like, <laughs> my type was fuckboy. Yeah, but okay. What? Yeah, but what? He's disgusting. I know. I I love it. He looks like he couldn't hold down a regular job. I know. He looks like he would hit me. I know. (laughs) Plus, he's got a terrible track record for that. I know that's awful, and I know that it's true. Oh, my God. I know. He's a piece of shit. I know. (laughs) Are you that person that would be, like, sitting in, like, Ted Bundy's side of the court? Because you're like, he's hot. (laughs) (laughs) That would be me in the 70s. For sure. Wait, yeah. when was Ted Bundy? Mm-hmm. I just picture him in like a like a Skoda turtleneck. Yeah, well, he always had like like women would like part their hair down the middle because they know that he like liked yeah, that. Yeah, that was 70s. Yeah. What, what a fucking crazy world that that happened. That people were like, I want to fuck Ted Bundy. Like, first of all, I didn't think he was attractive. I mean, he didn't. I didn't either, but I think that's, you know, like every. For a serial killer, maybe? I guess? He's hot for a serial killer. (laughs) I'm into it. (laughs) I don't even know how to, like, his eyes were, like, really weird. Close yeah, together. he had crazy eyes, but it was also like I didn't find people attractive in that time period. You know how like every time period has a look that is considered like you know we kind of are oh. conditioned to believe is more attractive. Sure, yeah. Like dudes in the eighties, find me a hot dude in the eighties. <laughs> I'll wait. Yeah. Like Burt Reynolds on a bearskin rug. Yeah, I was just, I'll take it. That's what if I was I'm thinking. like in the eighties. Tom Selleck though, man, he's always been fucking hot. It's the dimples, Tom Selleck. If I have a choice between Burt Reynolds in his heyday fucking tom Selleck in his heyday or takashi 69 <laughs> right now <laughs> i know post snitch at his mom's house with an ankle bracelet on i would take that burt reynolds heyday was like deliverance times oh my god best little whorehouse in texas he's hot in that and didn't deliverance which was weird one time i watched deliverance and sling blade back to back and cried for like two days this is the thing <laughs> I was just thinking about this deliverance thing. I keep watching movies and doubles that I shouldn't, that I don't realize that I shouldn't. Like I watched Brokeback Mountain and then Milk. You know what I mean? And I was like, this is the worst day of, I'm gonna gonna hurt myself. Why don't you watch Where the Red Fern Grows and Old Yeller Mm -mm. tonight? No, go fuck yourself. (laughs) You trying to get me to kill myself? We're in the middle of a pandemic. I'm on a thread as it is. How dare you? Oh shit, Uh, I gotta go. Okay, um, follow us on all social media at svupod. Email us at svupod at gmail.com. You can also go to our website, svupod.com, where we have merch for perch. Merch for purchase. Merchants for purchase. <laughs> if you have a small startup podcast, hashtag little bit loud. And if you're looking for small startup podcasts that you might not find in a regular search, follow pound sign little bit loud. Do you think they call it hashtag because it looks like hash browns? Obviously. Oh, really? No. It's, oh. I'm not going to fight anything new that comes my way anymore, by the way. What are you, ta- what are you talking because about? Because when hashtags first came out, when it was like first being a thing, I'm like, that's fucking stupid and embarrassing for anybody who uses it or says it or anything. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hashtag, blah, 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 hashtag, blah, hashtag, best friends, hashtag, blah. <laughs> well, it's so good because you can like, it's such an easy way to I understand it like, now. Yeah, it's an easy way to find stuff. I just felt like a fucking old lady. I'm like, I'm not going to use that ever. Just like me in high school where I'm like, I might go to typing class, but I'm not learning the internet. <laughs>
<laughs> the computer bus is here, but I refuse. <laughs> computer bus. <laughs> uh, Oregon Trail, here I come, but I'm not going to like it. <laughs> Tasha got typhus. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll talk to you later. I got to go up there for John. All right. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to. You get it. Great. This is terrible. Thank you. Oh, I love you. I love you. <laughs> I have all of that. Where did I put it? Did you check your butt? <laughs> Don't you fuck you. That was like all of your afternoon energy that you just put into that. It was. Stupid. Ugh, okay. I need a nap for real. That gave me cramps. Thank you.